Welcome to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We are here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm. The opinions expressed are only our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT system, or the state. Hello, and welcome back to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression podcast. I'm Catherine Forbes, and I'm here with Dr. Madhukar Trivedi, the founding director of the CDRC. Today's episode is all about adolescent risk and the protective factors that can prevent mood disorders and promote mental health and well-being in adolescents. We are joined by three very special guests, a clinical psychologist, a pediatrician, and a minister, all fathers who host their own podcast called Parenting for the Present. Together, they have nearly 60 years of experience cultivating the minds, bodies, and spirits of children, parents, and families. We are so grateful they're sharing their wisdom and advice with us on this important topic. First, Dr. Matthew Halson is a father of four and a clinical psychologist. Dr. Halson, will you kick us off and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Of course, Catherine. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here with you guys and, you know, spend time with you. Yes, I'm a clinical psychologist. I went to UT Austin and then graduated and came to Dallas where I started my PhD and finished it at UT Southwestern. During that time, I was fortunate enough to begin working with young children at the Callier Center. And uh, that spun off into my own work at the Housen Center where we see children, adolescents and adults with mood, anxiety, attention, autism spectrum difficulties. And so over the last probably five years, we've really, we've really focused on preventative mental wellness and focused on brain balance and health and mental wellness. And that's kind of how Dr. Dennison and Dr. Stoker and I came together to start parenting for the present. That's great. Thank you. We're really happy to have you with us. Dr. Early Dennison is here as well, a father of three and a pediatrician in the Dallas area. It's great to meet you, Dr. Dennison. Can you talk a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Thank you for having us. So I trained at UT Southwestern for medical school, and then I did my pediatric training at Children's. So I feel like I've been in Dallas quite a while and call it home now. Uh, I also have an MBA with a healthcare focus, and my wife told me that I can not go back to school anymore. She said, I'm done with that. Uh, so I, uh, I, I'm a pediatrician. I'm at Pediatric Associates of Dallas. I'm uh, the managing, uh, a managing partner in our medical practice. Uh, I'm passionate about what we're doing here. Like Dr. Housen said, uh, we came together, Andy, Matthew, and I, to look at how we could address this mental health crisis and be proactive. We talk a lot about social emotional intelligence and many of the things we're going to talk about today. So really excited to be here and thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Our third guest is Dr. Andy Stoker, who has two sons and is the senior minister of First United Methodist Church of Dallas. Dr. Stoker, welcome. Will you introduce yourself and tell us about your work and interests? Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, part of what brought me to Dallas was my wife's a pediatric nurse. And she said, if you're going to be, if we're going to be married, you need to go to SMU Perkins and go to seminary, and then you can do whatever you want. 
So I don't have a golf game. So I went ahead and uh, started a PhD program at Texas Women's University in family science, where I became very passionate about children's and adolescents' mental health, uh, especially around what it looks like to, uh, to see the family in toto and how a family wraps around each child and each member in a profound way. Um, I also serve with Pastors for Texas Children, who, uh, which is an advocacy organization for uh, public schools across the state. So in and out of classrooms a lot, and also in and out of churches and synagogues, mosques, etc., I have two sons who, uh, one graduated from uh, DISD high school and one's in eighth grade, thrilled to be here. I'm an advocate for, especially on our podcast, is helping families move from reaction to response. What are those moments in life that we re react to that really require a response? So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and seeing what comes out uh, of this interaction to help us on our podcast for sure. Well, that's fantastic. And it's a privilege to meet you all. All of you individually have such impressive experience and you've come together to share those experiences and strategies with other parents to help them forge better relationships and paths for their own families. It's inspiring and we have a great conversation ahead discussing the factors that we can focus on to protect the mental health of today's youth. Dr. Trevetti, can you give us some background on the state of youth depression and the importance of taking preventative and protective measures? Thank you very much. And thank you all for joining this program, because it is really important for us to actually hear about earlier parts of this whole journey towards depression. We focus a lot in the, at the center on depression, on looking at brain function, on treatments, etc. I think one of the major problems is it is a very common condition, depression, anxiety. Over 3 million children in the United States experience it. But more importantly, one of the most important challenges for depression, anxiety, et cetera, is twofold. One, we wait 10, 12 years before they even get diagnosed. And the second is most of the attention is paid on deficits, on problems and concerns, rather than talking about what are the ways and steps we can take to prevent it, to, to improve it in addition to treatments that are obviously available. So I think your work, all of your work is actually exciting because we are talking about prevention, about resilience, et cetera. It is absolutely so important to teach kids and teens before they're in a crisis. And today we'll talk about what kids may be facing, how to recognize it, and what can be done to protect them. Dr. Halson, what do you commonly see as the top stressors for kids? I think the pandemic really brought it to the forefront, Catherine, that um, a lot of children were over overscheduled and then we went into lockdown and families came in and they were happier briefly and said, you know, there's a lot better balance in our lives and we're spending more time together and we're sleeping better. And so Dr. Dennison's going to talk a lot about sleep, but I think that one of the major stressors I see are sleep disturbances and the fact that children aren't giving themselves the opportunity uh, with their schedules or staying up too late or um, the introduction of mass exposure to media, whether it's, you know, um, Netflixing too much or TikToking too much, whichever the, whichever the, the, those intrusions are, we see that they're intruding in sleep and there's the absence of the ability for children to get enough um, rest and wake up and be balanced. So I feel like that now we're returning back to somewhat normal and kids are getting out of balance again. And we see that they're um, overscheduled, 
um, stressed out in, 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 in these different ways and it begins to disrupt their mental health in the ways that we're talking about. Let me, let me add uh, one aspect to this too. I think you're spot on, Matthew, about what's going on internally in the family system. Let's, let's talk epigenetically, what's actually going on maybe in the community and the culture that is uh, that maybe causing further risk, uh, risks when it comes to depression, when it comes to uh, anxiety and prevalence of anxiety. Uh, disproportionately, um, African-American students and Latinx students are affected by depression and anxiety. So what are some of the factors going on socially, going on culturally that help us understand what, what may be at stake? When we're thinking about the wider aspect, and I love this as part of my work and our work together, especially in partnership with UT Southwestern, is how do we build a community that can surround children and adolescents in times of great need? And what are the resources we can offer these students as they continue to navigate what is new, emerging, challenging diagnoses of depression and anxiety? How do we answer toxic environments, not, not only on social media, but maybe in toxic environments in schools and speak directly uh, to those, those concerns. Toxic environments that, uh, that happen perpetually in family systems. Um, and let's, let's not, uh, for, for me, the big elephant in the room is ambiguous loss. There is so much ambiguity out there, a lot of uncertainty out there, and no one knows how to put their hands on what's actually taking place. And so what happens is we begin to blame those who are closest to us, and that creates stress and, and continues this cycle of, uh, of creating an environment that is not conducive for healthy conversation and healthy, healthy development. Um, and in the first episode of this podcast, we discussed COVID-19 and youth depression. And Dr. Dennison, what are kids experiencing at this time? So I think a lot of what we were just talking about is what I'm seeing in the office. What Andy said, we're seeing a lot of uh, kids that are struggling with the uncertainty. What Matthew said in terms of less sleep, less um, exercise, and kind of going back to some of the old habits that Matthew alluded one of the positive things initially was people were getting more sleep, exercise, and family time together. And I think we're kind of going back to some of those old ways. So not surprisingly, we are seeing skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression. I can, I have message after message, phone call after phone call asking for help, resources, consults. And so I think this, we are right on here about how do we talk about being proactive and how can we address this to try to keep kids out of crisis? Matthew, you want to talk a little bit yeah, about what you're saying? really does bring up a good point about looking at things globally and more holistically. I think early and I, you know, are more down in the weeds in terms of seeing families coming in and we're seeing not only children who are stressed, but families. And so one of the things that we talk a lot about in my office is just you know, emotional reactivity. And I think um, whether it's sleep or lack of exercise or just this genetic this, uh, stress that's surrounding us all, everyone's more stressed and everyone's more reactive. So we're getting more emotion in phone calls from families. We're getting more emotions in teachers. We were talking before the podcast just about schools seem to be, there's just more stress around. And so I think that the answer comes in 
uh, Dr. Trivedi, in preventative, um, being proactive in a lot of these programs. Um, we're trying to do a lot more on our end with family uh, parenting training so that families begin to move from reacting to behavior to responding to emotions. We just see that as people begin to get better at identifying emotions, then children and parents can move from responding to behavior to regulating emotion. And when we regulate those emotions, then we're not priming the brain to get into more clinical states of depression or anxiety. And in that way, it's a very preventative and proactive approach that we think um, will hopefully bring these numbers down. And going off of that, like you said, we wanna make sure that we are getting ahead of these problems to help kids before they struggle rather than playing catch up. And I know Dr. Trevetti is really passionate about this. So Dr. Trevetti, how do we do that? So first and foremost, I think this is a fantastic discussion because we have to begin to almost think about changing the vocabulary because we are actually, and, and you see this in, in many places, in schools, for example, I hear from schools only when somebody, some child is suicidal and there is a whole lot of journey that happens prior to that. So what we have to be thinking about in mental health, in wellness for phys mental illnesses is to think about promoting resilience. And yes, resilience can be promoted, can be taught, can be built, and we have not focused on that. So that's first part. The second is we have to teach ourselves and people around us, and especially children, to actually consider importance of maintaining personal mental hygiene, mental wellness, and the focus on that. Both of those things are not taught. I can't imagine parents never sit down with their 10 or 12 year old and say, what do you do to calm yourself down? They tell, they ask hundreds of questions about what do you do for math? What do you do if somebody is bullying you? Nobody says, what do you do to calm yourself? What do you do by, to, by spending time by yourself and thinking about positive things? So those two things are examples. So this has to come from changing the vocabulary. It has to come from parents. It has to come from families, as you mentioned. And we have to train and teach kids to start thinking about these things and teach them and spend some real effort both in school, but more importantly, as parents and as society and, and place for worship, et cetera, all of those have to focus on this. And as I mentioned, we have to change the vocabulary so that we don't only focus on deficit, but focus on previous things. And one final point about stress, everybody talks about it and yes, but it is much more, in my view, related to our poor ability to deal with stress. It's not like stress was absent 50 years back. It's that how we respond is so half hazard and so helter-skelter. And that is something we, again, resilience can help with. And tell us about mental health hygiene as well. Um, you had mentioned that the second part of prevention entails promoting mental health hygiene. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper into that. Dr. Halson, what does mental health hygiene mean? The concept of resilience we've talked about on our podcast and one of our guests, Katie Hurley, introduced the term or highlighted the term of distress tolerance. And so I think with distress tolerance, it's the precursor to resilience and the precursor to distress tolerance is what Dr. Trevetti is talking about, which was really social emotional learning. And our podcast really came about as Dr. Dennison early and I started talking and included Andy, about how can we at, at the youngest ages, preschool children, begin to educate really first teachers and parents and then secondarily, secondarily our children on concepts of emotion identification, 
I feel mad versus I feel jealous versus I feel angry. We are still so deficient in our ability to use strong emotional vocabulary. And in the absence of emotional identification, it's hard to move from uh, identifying an emotion, labeling, labeling it, expressing it to regulating it. It's a very difficult, it's very difficult to go through that process of recognizing and understanding and labeling and expressing to get to a regulated emotion. So if we do that in our families, and it starts with parents being well through their own exercise regimens, their own sleep regimens, and then balance in their lives, as we as adults can show balance, then when our children are dysregulated, we don't respond through raised voices, anger, um, the, these pathological processes that we know result in more severe and persistent mental illnesses like depression and anxiety and beyond. And one, one, we have done one of the earlier pro, uh, podcasts on youth aware of mental health program that we have been doing in schools or across North Texas that is now going statewide. And there the goal is to actually inductively train students on their own. So they are not just getting a lecture, but they're then experiencing this. And we're finding very good effects with it. And some people interested should put, probably watch, listen to that podcast. Yes. And that is episode five of our podcast series. So back to mental health hygiene. Dr. Halson, did you want to mention or give us a definition of what mental hygiene is? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, we brush our teeth, we, you know, wash our bodies, you know, with mental health hygiene, it's, it starts with sleep, it starts with exercise, it starts with routine, you know, so many of the children that I see, they're just, there's not a schedule. And so simply on whether it's Sunday night, or, you know, one of the days that's less busy family sitting down and saying, here's the itinerary for the week, we all do better on a family vacation when we know what's going to happen that we have four kids. And I just know that when I tell set expectations, everyone does far better. So sleep, exercise, family routine, structure. Um, and we talked a lot about in our, in our podcast about the importance of the family coming together cohesively, whether it's around the dinner table, whether it's around going to an event and connecting. And it's that loss of connection that I think contributes to a lot of this ambient stress that we all feel. So all of these things, sports, we just saw kids really had a hard time during the pandemic when they weren't able to get out and recreate, whether it's team sports or individual sports, it's so important to start at some point and then see oneself improve and make progress. It, it brings a degree of self-satisfaction that few things can't. Learning that's set to developmental levels. A lot of times in schools, you know, uh, parents are wanting to teach multiplication when a child's five, the brain's not set to do it. And that immediately brings about frustration. So making sure that we're being developmentally appropriate to what we teach. This is, this is just kind of a hodgepodge of mental hygiene, but I think that all of them speak to the fact that when we follow some degree of structure and routine, it settles and calms the mind so that our limbic system, the emotional center of our brain, doesn't get into that distressed state that um, escalates over time. So when we talk about mental health hygiene, and Matthew was, he, he touched on this, I can't remember if it was Katie Hurley or Tina Payne Bryson, but one of them said, calm parent equals calm kid. And so when you talk about when we're saying to kids, hey, you need to exercise, you need to sleep, you need to take better care of your nutrition, etc. I think that's something that we as parents need to think about. And I know personally, and I'm sure you all as well, when I'm in a better place, and I'm taking care of my mental health hygiene, I'm less reactive. Um, and my 
kids, if I stay calm, they stay much calmer. So I think that, uh, I don't know, Matthew, did you have anything you wanted to add to that or? That's fabulous. Just, it's, it's a dynamic. I mean, you know, relationship dynamics are so interesting to me. And I think that there's lots of research studies that come out of marriage research that when one person's heart rate goes down, the other person's heart rates go down. So I think even at a physical level, taking your emotional pulse and saying on a 10 point scale, I'm at a seven, eight, nine, or 10, I need to go for a walk. I need to take a shower. I need to go pet the dog, whatever it is that regulates us as adults, we can teach our children to do that. And it's that modeling that Dr. Trevetti is alluding to that we need to both through our behavior and then our direct teaching kind of reshape how we do our family lives so that mental health, emotional regulation, um, good structures and routines support, you know, all of our development and health. Uh, we've talked about, Hey, if you have a um, person that's able to co-parent with you, tag them in and, and you go take a break and try to get yourself in a better place. I like the concept of emotional pulse. I think that's awesome. And I know that Dr. Trebetti has the six S's of wellness. Can you explain what those are to us? Again, we can talk about those in more detail somewhere, but I think the idea there again is to teach children, adults, and, and mainly by, as you mentioned, by modeling, to teach them how best to soothe themselves, how best to relax. And those have to be mindful and active efforts. And so don't just tell the child, go and relax, go and sit and calm yourself down. That is not something that a 10-year-old will understand how to practice. So therefore, it has to be something you concretize, you work with the 10-year-old with to un help them understand. And modeling is one really easy way to think about it. And in addition to modeling, how else can we start teaching these kids emotional regulation and good mental health hygiene? I think, again, changing the vocabulary, as, you, as we've already discussed a number of these things, for example, men, keeping track of your mental health, keeping track of your sleep, your, your emotions, etc. Self-monitoring is another way to actually do that. And Dr. Trevetti, you bring up the concept of being mindful about it. I think just in the last five years, a lot of people have become more aware of how important relaxation training, mindfulness is. Andy, I'd like you to talk a little bit about some of your mindfulness work and how that um, putting in families or individually just a, a daily mindfulness practice is really helpful to doing what Dr. Trevetti is saying is being active and purposeful in promoting um balance in our in our mental uh, capacities yeah i think uh regarding soothing and spirituality there sometimes these two things go go together when we're able to connect our head and our heart somehow we experience something greater than ourselves we transcend ourselves sometimes a healthy mindfulness practice for uh children four and under may be simply uh, breathing while counting to three uh, and finding some regulation. Oh, let's breathe for a second. I don't know that we're in touch with our breathing. Let's count to three out loud on every breath and regulate ourselves. Maybe for elementary age students, uh, K through five, maybe there's a way for us to be in touch with our bodies. So what I like to do with, uh, well, 
even with my eighth grader, we still do this, is uh, touch the edge of his hand and just squeeze that, uh, squeeze that edge of his hand, that fatty part of the hand, and just recognize what's going on as, as a calming technique. It's almost like a, a, a fidget spinner, but it's just right. You don't need the gadget. It's just right there. You're connecting there. What's going on in your body? For junior high students, middle school students, high school students, maybe there's a way to do a deepening practice can we set aside three minutes, five minutes in the morning and then the evening to be in touch with our breath? In my own mindfulness meditation training, it is that routine set aside time that becomes part of our constancy of schedule so that we can be in touch with what's going on within us so that when we show up in the world, there's something more to expect, not only of what we're offering, but also raises awareness about the conversations we're going to have and how those conversations can help us realize who we are and just how accepted, loved, and grace-filled we are in, in our interactions at school, at work, at home. Uh, I, I could really go on and on about this. I really appreciate uh, the pickup here. I'm, I'm interested at Dr. Trevidi, um, the six S's uh, that you have. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if what, what the other ones are. I'm, I'm intrigued about uh, I'm for myself. I want, and plus I love acronyms and I don't know if is an acronym, but there you have it. So the, the, the S's are soothing and we've already talked about it. Self-help. How do you take care of yourself? Social is, and we've talked again about it, but how do you go do for, what do you do for things for fun with other people? And the biggest thing I think we've talked about again is really strength because we often focus on deficits instead. What are your strengths and how can you actually work towards those? And then spiritual, what are your values and beliefs? Do you respect those of others? And finally, self-acceptance. What positive self-statements do you use? Because that is really the key to ultimately achieving satisfaction with your own self, because a lot of anxiety, depression is where you start questioning yourself. And so this is really where the, the most important S in my view comes from. I think that's interesting too, just the cognitive part of all of this is when we're happy, the happy thoughts flow. And when we're sad, the negative thoughts flow. And we think about negative mental filters and cognitive behavioral type strategies that we work with when children come in, but it's so much easier to correct positive thinking while one's feeling well and to draw the, draw the dichotomy between a negative mental filter, which is hopefully a rare event versus I'm usually upbeat and positive and happy. Once you get into an emotional rut, it's very difficult to get out of it. So the investment that we're making in the public schools, we're doing work you know, with social emotional learning in preschools, we feel like those dollars, those that energy that's invested there is so much more fruitful and the return on investment is so much higher because we all know that once the body becomes sick, whether it's the mind or the body, it's harder to repair itself. It has the capacity to repair, but it's more difficult to repair than when you take a, 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 a unaffected, you know, uh, human. And I know that this wasn't one of the S's that Dr. Trevetti mentioned, but maybe this can be another one. Sleep is important. Dr. Dennison, could you, in your own words, tell us how important sleep is for a child? Would love to. Thank you. Um, I think, 
I think there's this, this huge connection, obviously, between your brain fitness and your physical fitness. And so sleep impacts both of those uh, tremendously. So we talk about the importance of sleep. And then we all know that preteens and teens, and let's be honest, uh, parents and adults are sleep deprived for the most part. And there's a, a variety of reasons for that, right? We all have busy schedules. And uh, I, I think the uh, electronics are a huge part of that. And we can come back and talk about that. But for a teenager and a preteen, sleep is crucial to academic performance, their well-being. Um, and there's a, a whole host of other benefits. But one of the things that you know, I always tell a teenager a minimum of eight to nine hours and they look at me like, are you kidding me? I mean, yeah, have you looked impossible. at my schedule? Yeah, that's absolutely impossible. Thanks a lot, doc. That's great, great advice. But I do think that we can do some things. And, and you know, they talk about, if you talk to a sleep specialist, they'll talk about the quantity of your sleep. That's one part, right? But then nobody ever really wants to focus on the quality of the sleep. And so I asked the teenagers, how much do you sleep? And they're like, oh, I get seven or half or eight hours. But they're talking about, I turn my phone off right then, and then I brush my teeth and I jump into bed, and then I take a while to fall asleep, and then I get up, and really they're probably getting, you know, six to seven hours of sleep. So I think there are things that we can encourage them to do. As you know, teenagers sometimes don't want to listen to our wonderful advice as parents, but you can still encourage. So uh, one, one thing I would say is definitely have the conversation about turning your electronics off, ideally an hour before bedtime. Again, a teenager is going to be like, that's great. Mm -hmm. So maybe aim for 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, have a nice routine. I say, you know, if you could take a, a bath or shower, kind of relax yourself. And I think what Andy was talking about in terms of uh, some sort of mindfulness or quiet time before bedtime. And, you know, I know for myself, if I either meditate using an app, or if I just take a few minutes to focus on my breathing before, um, and definitely not use the iPad before and uh, maybe read an old fashioned book, but that works pretty well. So I think that um, sleep is is key. It's difficult, but we need to keep uh, preaching the gospel. Oh, and the other huge thing, no electronics in the room overnight. I think that electronics ought to be outside charging. And then, you know, we, we joke, the teenagers are like, well, that's my alarm clock. And then I yeah. usually like do a Google search of an actual alarm clock and tell them you can use this. You don't need your phone. And they're like, oh, fine. Something that gets the attention of parents when I talk with them about their children is I ask them, what time do they wake up on the weekends? And so if they wake up at 10 and they go to bed at 11, well, so that's the number of hours they sleep. So kids under probably puberty, I would say, typically wake up at the time when their brains are arrested. Teenagers can sleep all day, but kids under, before they hit puberty, they're going to wake up at the time when they're well rested. And then, you know, they're, they're allotted the amount of sleep that they need. And then that's what you want to go for during the week. Okay. Well, thank you for telling us about sleep. Lastly, I want to talk about nutrition and the importance of um, a healthy eating lifestyle. I know a few of us were talking beforehand how we as adults don't have the healthy eating lifestyle that we wish that we did, but tell us about the importance of that in a child's life. Uh, I think that nutrition plays a huge role in both, again, brain health and your physical health. Um, oh, I, the one thing I forgot to mention on sleep that seems to get teenagers' attention is if you tell them that's when they grow the most, that tends to get them excited. And then also that if you get proper sleep, you're gonna be a better athlete because you have better balance, coordination, et cetera. So I found that rings a little truer than, hey, you should take care of yourself and get eight hours of sleep and you should turn your electronics off. So- yeah, isn't it for them. 
Exactly. So from a nutrition standpoint, um, I talk about fueling your body. I don't like to talk about, you know, one of the things that we are seeing in the office as a result of the pandemic is a lot of weight gain based on, um, you know, some unhealthy snacking choices, probably at home, and then a lot less physical activity. And I don't like to bring attention to a child's uh, weight gain. So I just talk about a lot about, hey, let's let's talk about fueling our body. And I kind of use the analogy of a, a performance race car. And I say, what kind of fuel are we going to put in a performance race car? Are we going to put premium fuel in it? Or are we going to put junky fuel in it? And usually they say premium. And I say, why? And they say, well, because if you put the junky fuel in it, it's not going to run well. And so I say, exactly. So then we have the conversation about uh, more fruits, vegetables, proteins, less things out of bags and, and boxes, kind of that idea of shopping more the perimeter of store, skipping uh, of the store, skipping the bakery, and then less time uh, on the interior of the store. So I think that what, what would y'all say, Do, anything to add as parents or professionals in terms of what y'all think about with nutrition? From a spiritual aspect, uh, when we share a meal together, uh, it's an engagement. It's when we break bread together. I mean, we haven't, we even have colloquialisms in the West about it. Let's break bread together. Hey, let's, let's go to lunch. We have the, these opportunities. Well, how would we as hosts, uh, set a table? Well, think about your hosting yourself at the table. What is it that you'd like to serve yourself? We don't know that we wouldn't want to be served junk food. Uh, we go to somebody's house and you pass around fast food and then there's just a sack of fast food at every spot. No, you're going to bring out the, the fine dishes and the fine silverware. So what does it look like for us to host ourselves in delicious and nutritious meals and get to uh, appreciating the bodies that we have? Everybody matters no matter what. And when we can appreciate this body we've been given, maybe there are some choices we can make uh, using that gratitude for who we are and how we're animated in the world to be activated in, in new and real ways. Well, and I think the, the connection that we experience when we eat and kind of are in fellowship, like you're talking about, Andy, it provides a... Uh, an emotional food that the junky food doesn't need to fill. Because, you know, just like Andy's saying, early saying, excuse me, a lot of us have eaten unhealthy because of our emotions. And through connection, those emotions get, you know, satisfied. Thank you all. And the third aspect of physical well being is physical activity. And as I understand it, you are all avid um, proponents of physical activity, whether it's outdoors or just exercise in general. So tell us a little bit, each of you, about how you personally practice this and what parents can teach their children. Well, Catherine, so much so that in October, we did our first mental health walk. Um, we did a 5K. And but it wasn't had, a run. It was a walk. Uh, you could run. I walked. <laughs> walk slash <But> run. <laughs> it was a, a 5K walk run. And we had probably 100 people come out. And it was music and um uh, we had different activities that kids and families engage in. It was a really nice morning. We're going to make it an annual thing. Personally, for me, I enjoy, I love the outdoors. Um, I have a place outside of Dallas that I like to go and I have cattle out there and fish out there that I like to spend time with. And for me, it's meditative, meditative and um, get exercise. And, you know, it's clear to me when I return back um, 
that my stress levels reset and I'm more balanced and I'm less reactive and I sleep better. And I think it's important for each person, whether it is a jog, a walk, you know, being in nature to get reconnected or reset. And what happens when we're in a constant state of stress without returning back to our homeostasis, then we reset ourselves to an unhealthy level. And so whether it's on a regular, you know, some people need to exercise every day. Some people can get by, you know, every two or three days. Each of us needs to know our set point where we're at our better. Um, because if we get away from our better, then we get in these states of emotion that we're talking about are difficult to come back from. And I know for me, you know, exercise makes me a better um, spouse, a better parent, and uh, a better <laughs> friend to people because that, that makes me feel better and, and less reactive. And I was thinking, you know, part of this conversation has been about being role models as parents to the best of our ability. And if we're going to ask our kids to exercise, then I think us making that a priority in our lives um, also uh, sends that message to our kids that it's important. And I, I know in my family, my wife is extremely active and exercises regularly. And so at first I kind of felt guilt, guilted into because I had to keep up with her. Uh, but now it's just become a, a habit. Uh, it boosts your, your neurotransmitters. You sleep better. You can, uh, for kids, you can focus better at school. Uh, so I just think the, the activity and uh, exercise as a family and, and doing things as a family. So Andy, do you want to add about to that about what we can do as family? And Yeah, I think uh, also absolutely doing things together and moving in a way that creates human being and not human doing is excellent. What I was going to say is the idea of nature drawing us in so that we find ourselves interconnected with what is going on in the creative process out there. Our Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim uh, siblings across uh, and Christian siblings across the uh, the world religious aspect all have this connection with creation. Uh, it's not magic. There may be something to it. If we walk outside, take a deep breath, listen for just a moment to the wind whistling through the leaves, to discover your feet on the ground, to recognize that you're some, somehow part of something bigger, uh, that that connects you with your own being and the ultimate being of who we are in community, in our family, and as a world. I don't think we could have ended on a higher note. That was very well described. I think we have to try to sort of not make somebody think that they are depression or their anxiety or their stress exactly the way you said it. So I want to thank all of you for a, a fantastic conversation and and I am certain our listeners will want to have you come back. So we'll circle back with you. So I appreciate everybody's uh, input. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for pushing us forward with strategies to help parents and kids protect themselves and each other from developing depression and how to keep wonderful mental health hygiene. Before we go, could you quickly tell us where we can find your podcast or how to reach each of you? Yeah. Uh, you can find us on the parentingforthepresent.com website. That's our best place to find, find each of us. You can find our podcast anywhere you find podcasts out there, whatever is most comfortable for you. Um, 
we are so grateful. Early Matthew and I are so grateful. Dr. Tafiti, we are, we're one with you and want you to know that we are your biggest cheerleaders out there. Uh, it sounds like our hearts and minds are aligned here. Uh, so please, uh, for those of, those of you who are getting connected with this podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, subscribe to it and understand what the deep, passionate values that UT Southwestern and this podcast uh, might offer you and your family. Uh, I'm grateful for the conversation today, and we will say yes next time we're asked. That's it for this episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression with your hosts from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC so you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you'd like answered, we have an email address just for this podcast, decodingdepressionpodcast at utsouthwestern.edu. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. <music>